Welcome to the Hydric and Struggles Leadership Podcast. Hydric is the premier global provider of senior level executive search and leadership consulting services. Diversity and inclusion, leading through tumultuous times, and building thriving teams and organizations are among the core issues we talk with leaders about every day, including in our podcasts. Thank you for joining the conversation. Hi, I'm Charlie Moore, a partner at Hydric and Struggles and a member of our global healthcare and life sciences practice. In today's podcast, I'm very excited to speak to Carsten Braun, who is the CEO and president of Selective Biosciences. Founded in 2008 and headquartered in Boston, Massachusetts, Selector is a clinical stage biotech company with a commitment to solving the challenges associated with autoimmunity. Prior to Selector, Carsten was president of pharmaceuticals for the Americas region at Bayer and a member of their global pharmaceutical executive committee. Carsten has worked all over the world. He's lived in Japan, China, Singapore, Germany, Switzerland, and currently the US. Carsten, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks for having me. Perhaps you could start us off with a walk through your career path, where you've been, what you've done, um, and ultimately why you decided that being a biotech CEO was something that was appealing. Great question, Charlie. It clearly wasn't the plan when I started out. Um, And if I look at my career, there's a couple of themes, actually. Uh, So one is large companies and small companies. I worked in big pharma, but I've also worked in small, very small organizations. Uh, And I've been on both the science side and the business side. So I started out as a scientist. I have a PhD in endocrine pharmacology, started at Lilly, but pretty quickly had a strong interest in the commercial side and kind of switched over and spent almost 10 years at Lilly. And then I went, I wanted to see Big Pharma from a European perspective. I went to Novartis and kind of been through the value chain on the commercial side. And then I, I did something quite different. I went to a very small Swiss biotech, actually, and, and, and really enjoyed that. But also saw the risks there, the phase three failed, right? So, um, but I think that's part of the game. Then I went to a, a private equity-backed kind of mid-sized organization in Asia Pacific. So that's another theme. I've worked kind of around the globe, based out of Singapore first. And then I was lured back into Big Pharma, actually, into, into Bayer, out of China first. Spent a good eight years there. And larger commercial roles, so regional president. Um, I was heading up Japan. And that's kind of what it brought me back to the science side. We actually opened the first open innovation center in Japan, um, partnering with academia, basically. And then my last role at Bayer, heading up US, um, Canada, and, and Latin America. But also, I had the, the open innovation center based in Boston. So I spent a lot of time in Boston with some of the startups that were funding and, and realized I really enjoy that, actually. And kind of the reflection what do I want to do with my own career uh, and, and realizing maybe I don't enjoy my day-to-day life anymore in big pharma. It's very process-driven, very administrative, very political. I wanted something that's closer to innovation, something more agile, more entrepreneurial, a bit more informal, um, more external focused. And that's how I ended up in, in the biotech world. So it, it wasn't a straight path. But I think a lot of learnings along the way that come in very handy uh, running a small, very small biotech. I want to talk about the risk piece because that's, I think, an important sort of categorization of you perhaps in terms of what you're willing to do, um, both in terms of 
job content size of organization and the fact that you moved around the world as well is interesting. But in terms of moving to this role and Selector in particular, perhaps you could just talk us through sort of what was there when you arrived, a little bit of the journey that you've been on over the last few years, um, and then we'll come back to some of those other points, perhaps. Yeah, so I mean, I, I kind of walked into, um, I would say, a pretty difficult situation uh, when I joined Selecta. There's been quite a bit of turnover on the management side, funding issues. Um, so really, I, I kind of really had to learn very quickly how the capital markets work and, and that whole piece, you know, how do you interact with investors, um, how do you interact with the bankers, um, speak their language. Um, so that, that's been a tremendous uh, learning. Uh, and then the second piece that I think was the most urgent was board and board management. I had to make kind of the difficult decision to find a new chairperson, actually, which is very tricky because that's the person that has hired you. But I've also realized that probably wasn't the best fit for the organization where we needed to have the skill set we needed. So I think these are the two key challenges I faced actually coming into that role, which were difficult and, and quite, you know, you, you talked about risk. I mean, real existential risk, both running out of money. Quite simply, we had like less than six months of runway, basically, and, and no real clinical milestone. So um, that was very tricky, um, you know, and you really kind of run into the risk of, do we actually have enough money to fund uh, the operation? And the second is to, to take a personal risk to kind of take on the chair, if you like, um, and make changes that, are, that I thought were right and turn out to be right for, for the organization and for the board. So where are you getting your advice from? Who's helping you with these decisions? I try to build a network of advisors fairly quickly, some more formal where we actually had an agreement, you know, experienced biotech CEOs or ex-biotech CEOs that basically coach people like myself. Um, so I had one or two of those. But then also I, I built my board with experienced biotech operators that been through this a couple of times. One of my first hires actually on the board is a very experienced CEO who has been through a couple of um, exits, turnarounds. Uh, and then ultimately my board chair, actually, and, and Charlie, you were involved in that search, uh, Carrie Cox, and she's become a real thought partner for me and, and, and somebody you can, I can talk to about strategic issues, personal issues, you know, how to manage risk, personal risk and all those things. So I, I think that's one of the key advice I would have for people, actually, is get this network in place early on because people have been through this challenge. You're not the first person going, even though it feels like it's the first time this happens. This happened many times and it's definitely pretty common themes in, in biotech. So having a network and almost a safety net has been really instrumental uh, for me. And, and I think also helps you not to trip because you can trip pretty easily. I mean, you know, and coming from a large organization, money is never an issue in terms of fundamental, you know, funding your business. Um, and, and, and that was really... I think one of the hardest and early learnings around investor relations and, and how to deal with the capital markets. So we always talk a, a, about folks that are moving from big farm to the biotech space and whether they can manage the change culturally going from the large organization, which you described, where there's money and there's process and there's other people around you. The, the surprises for you or the learnings for you, perhaps in terms of moving into a much smaller, probably more entrepreneurial, faster moving environment. Definitely. I think very, very different skill set required. 
kind of looks the same from the outside. You're kind of managing an R&D organization, but it is very different, right? So, and maybe I've been, I got too cynical working in big pharma, but everybody's talk about patient focus and, and all that stuff, which is nice. And it's in all the vision and mission statements. But if you look at the realities, it's very internal focused. My last role had a fairly sizable P&L and organization. So you're really busy trying to align the troops in-house, trying to align the various countries, make sure they're aligned with the global strategy. You have to feed the monster and the beast around internal processes and the administrative burden you have managing a large organization and all the politics around that as well, right? To make sure you get resources in internally. So it's very internal focused, I, I found, and not that much external focused. Now in biotech, you by definition have a much smaller organization. You know, we have about 60, 70 folks. So you spend a lot less time aligning the organization. I mean, that's that's pretty easily done. Everybody's very motivated. You spend a lot of time externally focused, focused on, you know, with your investors, building a story that's credible with investors, make sure you're funding. You work with strategic partners, big pharma, mid-size for partnerships, for funding. And it's a lot more hands-on. I mean, you, you do strategy, but also you're the ones doing the board slides. You're the ones, even sometimes in the beginning, writing clinical protocols. I mean, it's, it's a very hands-on piece. And it's, that's the piece actually I do like, kind of helicopter in and out from very strategic topics to very practical hands-on topics. But that's not an easy transition if you're used to large organizations and you kind of you just manage this organization. This is very hands-on, very real. You know everyone in your organization by name. Uh, it's, a, it's a very different skill set, I would say. The one piece that's similar, I find, it's all about people. I think that's common in both roles, but you obviously approach it differently, right? Also around talent management, it's a much smaller organization. It's a different population. Most folks have a PhD or a master's, so it's a, it's a very different organization in the commercial uh, organization of large pharma. And, and therefore, just following on from that, the advice to folks like you making the move, particularly in regard to people and leadership of people, what, what have you learned that's worked for you? And equally, perhaps what, 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 what hasn't worked that you shouldn't do again? Yeah, I mean, what doesn't work is don't bring your tool set and thinking apply it to biotech, right? Um, that clearly doesn't work. And I've definitely seen peers that failed because of that. They brought the mindset, the suits, the skill set, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't gel well. At the same time, I think what you can bring is a certain sophistication managing more complex organizations, you know? And I think that's, that's something that's been very helpful for me. And we've done a number of business development deals. We have a deal with Sobe, Takeda, Astellas. So, you know, fairly large, sophisticated organizations. And having that background has been extremely helpful. I know what's important to them, how they tick. So I think there is value, but I always say you have to have a beginner's mindset um, and kind of walk in with like a, an empty cup, not a full cup and think, hey, I know it all. And be humble. I mean, that's the other piece. And I've definitely had to eat the humble pie when I started out. Just as I said, once again, the, learning the capital's market. I mean, this is uh, definitely not an easy task when you come out of a large organization, um, but also very enjoyable once you get into it. I, I think it's one of the things I excel at now and I really enjoy actually, but it's definitely one of the things that can really trip you up. Can you expand on that a little bit? I'll give you a very specific example. When I joined Selecta, we had a fairly sizable organization for a small organization, pretty high burn rate, 
and a lot of cash. So the first thing I should do my first month, I should downsize the organization by about 40%. That was a lot of fun. And then go out to investors and, and tell them a story why they should invest in us, actually. right? So um, this is not just like, hey, I worked in Big Pharma before. Trust me, this is all good. Uh, you have to be very, very specific. So what have you done? Okay, so if you know we right-sized the organization, what's your vision for the next two years? What are the clinical endpoints that you have? What are the value-creating events? Um, so it's, it becomes very concrete and not a lot of fluff, right? And, and I think if you don't get to that, it's pretty risky. And I think even more so now where the, the funding has dried up even more, I think it's even more important to have a compelling story. But But even then when I joined and it was in late 2018 it was yeah it was it was definitely a pretty rough i would say first 3 to 6 months until we were able to do a raise and and kind of reset the organization but it was definitely a little bit touch and go in the beginning okay and the segue on that is therefore the external relationship with the investors but the internal relationship with your board how does that work and and what skill sets have you tricks have you picked up in terms of how you work with them for the benefit of all. And I've, I've really began to appreciate over time how important the board actually is, right? I mean, they're your boss in a sense, right? I mean, they, they kind of have a supervisory function, but they're really your thought partners and they really want to make you succeed. You want to be very strategic who you have on your board. People that are willing to actually participate and contribute in, during the board meetings. I think that's extremely important. Diverse past relationships. So we have a very diverse board in terms of relationships. Um, so I think that's that's important as well. The network you can tap into. And just the daily relationship with your board chair is so critical. It takes time to invest. You know, you, you have to know each other. You have to learn to trust each other, open up, share some of your concerns. Maybe you wouldn't share with your own team or with investors. So I think it is critical. And, and I'm somewhat blessed now, but it was definitely not an easy journey. It was also a little bit bumpy in the beginning till I found a board chair and then made some changes on the board. And I think it's it's a very high functioning board now. And, and it's a tough board. I mean, those those board meetings every, happen every quarter. I'm not a walk in the park, but they challenge you to, to run basically the business and make the right decisions, ask the right questions. Uh, so it's been an extremely important piece of the whole piece, which I didn't probably appreciate as much walking into this. So, yeah, there's a board and, and that's it. But it probably takes up, I would say, a quarter of my time in a good way. It's just I have a lot of one-on-ones with board members. I Obviously, I speak with my chair frequently, but we, we text quite often. So kind of building that this trusting relationship, I think, is very important. And it's important when tough things happen, when a share price drops and you need to have uh, your board aligned with, uh, with your thinking. How much do you let your board interact with your executive team? Um, they have full access. And I know there's different philosophies. Um, some CEOs want to manage all the board communication. I have the philosophy. I have good alignment with my management team. And so anyone can speak to my CSO, my CMO. So everybody has direct access uh, to my executive team. So, and that, that does happen. So, uh, which I think is important because I don't want to be the one, you know, managing everything and, and they get a much better perspective of what's really going on hearing this from different perspectives and different functions. So I, I definitely have a very open philosophy when it comes to interaction with the executive team and the board. And advice for, for other CEOs or folks that are thinking of doing what you've done in terms of, 
the move, um, what should they consider? What should they look at from a due diligence perspective as, as they're considering opportunities that might be out there for them? You have to love the science. You have to get excited about the science because that's what you ultimately are focused on. That's what you're selling to investors. That's what you really have to get excited about. I think that's, that's step number one. That's critical. Look at your board that you have. Talk to everyone. Um, do you, do you, is there good chemistry? Can you see working with them? Look at your investor base. Um, I think that's also something I've learned along the way. Having joined another board, just kind of look at the investor base. That's a good indicator what kind of company you're looking at. These are some of the, the early advice. And then get a good network of advisors to also advise you on, should I join this company? And it's oftentimes the informal networks where you, you kind of get the real inside story. Don't look, yeah, look at the website, but it doesn't tell you the story of the actual company and what's behind and who's behind. I think that's really important. But I think the fundamental piece, you have to love and believe in the science because that's really what, what drives it in the end. So change the tone of the conversation. I'm interested, just as we begin to get to the end of this, I'd love your views on what's going on and the impact of digital and AI within your sector. Is this real? Is, is something going to happen that's going to change the world, going to change the biotech spectrum? Um, <laughs> I think there is a lot of hype. We, we do have a partnership with one of the leading protein engineering companies, which is basically using AI to engineer proteins, right? And, and they are much smarter than I am. And I mean, they're based out of, out of Seattle. And I mean, there is a step change happening for sure, but I'm not sure we can revolutionize drug discovery overnight. Um, so I would, I would say healthy skepticism is important here. But don't ignore it either. You can't ignore it. But I don't think it's the panacea now to fix drug development. They play a key role in other parts of the value chain now. I mean, if you look at supply chain, machine learning is, is already applied and useful. I think in drug discovery, you have some people that tout it. It's, it's going to be highly disruptive. But we haven't really seen it yet. But I think it's going to be part of the business model moving forward. I mean, what you can do now with modeling is amazing. You know, we can look at are molecules immunogenic or not, um, you know, and are they toxic or not? I mean, it's all things you can do already, but it's still drug development. I don't think this is going to be, it's going to change overnight. And the same is true for commercial business as well. I mean, these are all tools that you have to use, but they're not necessary. I haven't seen a company that has truly disrupted healthcare yet with digital tools. And maybe that needs to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. It's interesting, as we talk to folks around and about, there is a difference of views out there in terms of some are, are perhaps more in your camp and, and others are more leaning towards this is revolutionary and watch the space because in 10 years' time it will be completely different. Um, but the jury is, I think the jury is out at the moment in terms of how that's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Yeah, so, look at Watson, Watson IBM, that was like 10, 15 years ago, it's going to change, you know, healthcare. It's out of business more or less. So, I mean... I think it will take it'll take over eventually. It will, it will take a role, but if I look now, the next one to three years will it disrupt my business? I don't think so. It's a tool we're using already, but yeah, it's. I mean, personally, it's very exciting, but um, real business impact, I I haven't seen yet. So, what does keep you awake? I mean, right now, if funding is one of the key things, and alternative ways to get funding as well. It's not the classical go to the capital markets. 
partnerships, creative partnerships. That's really what really keeps everyone awake at the moment. And we've done, unfortunately, again, a reduction in force about two months ago, just to extend cash runway. Yes, we have now cash till the end of 25, because that's really kind of the bottleneck right now. It kind of keeps me up at the moment. It's just funding and, and, and how do we turn this market around. Any other advice you give to uh, somebody thinking about a, a career change and a move into the, the biotech space? Be aware of all the risks. Um, on the, you know, on the, if you look at the, the XBI has been up 750% the last 10 years, basically, right? So it's been a steady curve up, basically. I think what this industry needs now is people that have managed crises and, and have managed through different business cycles, actually. So I actually find now, having managed some difficult commercial businesses where you have down cycles, I think that's a skill that you can actually transfer because a lot of biotech CEOs, especially the last 10 years, is all in growth, basically, right? Blind growth, more or less. And, um, and, and just making smarter decisions where you allocate your money and, and tougher decisions. And I think the market is self-correcting right now to a certain extent. And there's companies that shouldn't be out there and, and maybe management teams that shouldn't be management teams. And uh, so, I mean, I definitely encourage people. I mean, it was um, definitely a personal career change for me that has accelerated my personal growth and development. It's been a fantastic journey and, and painful at times, but uh, nevertheless, a, a journey of personal growth. And, and hopefully I've, I've delivered for our shareholders and, and, and our employees as well. But uh, you know, really from a career perspective, it's been a fantastic journey. What a nice way to finish. So look, thank you. Really appreciate your time today. I think there's some very sage advice in there for, for lots of folks listening to this. And um, yeah, may it, may it continue. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Hydrogen Struggles Leadership Podcast. To make sure you don't miss more future shaping ideas and conversations, please subscribe to our channel on the podcast app. And if you're listening via LinkedIn, Twitter or YouTube, why not share this with your connections? Until next time. <laughs>